feel like we're spread way out. We may have to squeeze in one of these weeks. Good to be in the house of God, amen? Amen. Oh, look at you guys. Somebody really loves me. Right? The problem with that is tomorrow morning is way in, and I'm in. You might have to put this in the freezer till tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so if you have your five friends focus, let's take a moment and pray for uh, unsaved, maybe their family members, maybe their neighbors, maybe their work associates, whom you are believing with God the Spirit for their salvation. Father, tonight as we pray very specifically for those who do not know you, those in our realm of influence where we are Christ's ambassadors, Lord, it's our heart's desire that we would be witnesses unto Jesus. Father, help us to die to self where we have been witnesses unto self in so many of the uh, realms of influence that we have. Lord, we want to be salt and light. Not salt that has lost its savor, which is good for nothing but to be trampled under the foot of man, but, Father, to be salty salt that would make people thirsty to know the life-giving Jesus, the one who gives living water. And so, God, be glorified, and we pray for our, whether it's a five-friend focus or, as Matt said this morning, a seven-friend focus, whatever that looks like, uh, Lord, we specifically ask for their names, and we call out before your throne and ask for their salvation in Jesus' name. And everyone said a strong amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, there should, if, if there's not copies of these uh, in the seat backs in front of you, we can get one for you. That would be marvelous. Um, lots of information inside the bulletin today. Uh, there's a Let's Get Connected dinner for the ladies. Um, Sunday morning prayer is listed in there. Again, the Five Friends Focus and some life group stuff. So encourage you. Oh, game night on Friday night. First, Yeah, it's the first Friday night of the month of March. Can you believe it's already March? 2017, I think we just crossed the uh, starting line. It already feels like we're past the first quarter, and now we're moving that way. All right, well, let's, let's turn in our Bibles as we walk through the book of Genesis. We ended in chapter 24, and I feel like I need to finish the rest of the story uh, I, I left out some key pieces of my story that I was telling you, so it spans over a three-week period. But at the end of the day, I told you the story of the guy, Santos, who was chasing me from Salt Lake City. And some of you after uh, Bible study last week were like, why was he chasing you? We still don't understand all of those pieces. <laughs> what happened was, if you remember, if you were here, I ended up letting about uh, 12 to 15 people go because they were overstaffed. And part of what was happening is that foreman named Santos, who was working for us there in Salt Lake City, he was part of some kind of a, a drug ring. And the word I got was Puerto Rican mafia. It is, thank you. That, uh, Puerto Rican mafia. And some of the people that we terminated, myself and John, or laid off, uh, he had already distributed... And they were his distributors, and so they were no longer in the area. There's a whole lot of traffic of people in that uh, kind of crane area where that plant was. And so apparently he was trying to get his money for the drugs that had been given to him, uh, but he could no longer collect it. And so he came in and he robbed the plant to try and get the money, and then he was coming after myself and uh, John Lockhart, so we messed up the system. So he figured, hey, if I'm going down, I'm taking the two guys that uh, did this also. Well, God stepped in, and you know the rest of the story if you were here. Uh, and to all that point to say, we are blessed with the leading Abraham. He is our shield. He is our defender, and that was the promise that God had given to us. Uh, does that make sense to the, some of you who were here going, you're scratching your head saying, this story doesn't make sense yet. <laughs> it's funny uh, when you leave out key components, right? It's like a Paul Harvey story, right? Now for the rest of the story. So chapter 24, uh, Bride for Isaac. 
Um, we'll read through, and I'll, I'll take breaks and commentate again. And we, we've gone through a portion of it, but we'll, we're just going to pick back up at the beginning because this is, again, this is an, um, it's an important chapter on many fronts. Um, the parallel or the typology in this chapter is significant, I believe, and it is a foreshadowing, if you will. Paul in the New Testament reminds us that these things happened. They were written for our admonition. And we're also told, Paul, to the church in Colossae, it's a, it's a foreshadow, if you will. These things that transpired were a shadow and a type, if you will, of future events. And so we see that in this story. Let's begin in verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman... Uh, will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and whom spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand underneath the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So this is a practice of making an oath, putting a hand underneath a, a thigh. It's a, it's a commitment that one is bound by. It's their word. And the unnamed servant we know from an earlier chapter is Eleazar, if Eleazar is yet living still, and we would assume that he is, but that he would go into this land that really Abraham came from, the land of his father, and he would take for a wife for Isaac from those the women there of his own family. And uh, Abraham says, you'll be released from the oath if there's a woman there who is not willing to return with you. And so we pick up in verse 10. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when the women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day, and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels drink. Let her be the one you have appointed your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. What I love about this conversation that this unnamed servant is having is it sounds like a very normal conversation and yet he's having this normal conversation with the God of the universe and there's, I think there's a picture there for you and I in our prayer times that we can have conversation with God it's conversation and it's interesting that he would use circumstances to help dictate the will of God sometimes God uses our circumstances to guide us, to direct us, to lead us, and to navigate us. Remember, we looked even this morning, in uh, this morning's sermon, it's the Lord who directs the footsteps of the righteous. Those that are good, God directs their footsteps. And he is the one who, when we acknowledge him in all of our ways, he will make our path straight. This is, this is the kind of prayer that goes along with a, a, a path being straightened, if you will. Verse 15 says, And it happened... Before he had finished speaking, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. So while he's yet praying, here comes this young maiden, here comes uh, 
Rebecca, and she's coming out to the well, the time of expectation when he knew that they would be coming. And so it says, uh, now the young woman was beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her. And she went down to the well, uh, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, drink, my lord. Then she quickly let down her pitcher, or let her pitcher down uh, to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And I'll stop right there for a moment. Uh, ten camels. Ten camels that have traveled a great distance. Now camels can take and consume a tremendous amount of fluid, a lot, and they can, it will sustain them for many, many days in adverse conditions and weather. Uh, so this is no small undertaking. Uh, interesting. Uh, this is not like a good intention. Well, here, I'll water your camels also. Uh, I notice it's just an observation, but he lets her do it. <laughs> this, is, this is work, and he's, he's really seeing she's she said she'd do it. That's how he prayed. and But now he's going to let her fulfill even her commitment. Is she a woman of, his, of her word? There's an integrity piece. And who knows if that's what he was looking for, but I think it's just a keen observation. But this is, this is a lot of work. This is a lot of work. We don't know the size of the jug or the urn that was on her shoulder and how much water she was putting in that. But, I mean, just the sheer weight... Um, I've, I've carried five-gallon buckets of water. That is not a fun task. Just holding on to the handle. You, if you're carrying two of them, I mean, it starts to hurt your hand, let alone lifting something up, putting it on your shoulder or on your head. This is this a painful, to me, it seems like it'd be a painful operation. I'm sort of glad it was the gals that had to do it, not the fellas. Um Again, I mentioned last week as we read up to this point, there is, uh, there is a portion of Scripture in Isaiah that reminds us that we're, we're blessed while in the midst of asking, God answers. He hears us and he answers our prayers while we pray, and that's Isaiah 65, verse 24, by way of reminder. So, uh, verse 20, Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And again, I would suggest to you that I... It, I'm not out in left field when I say a camel can drink as much as 20 to 25 gallons of water in a single setting. So just do the math. Ten camels, 200 gallons of water, and she's running back to the well. This is saying something about Rebecca. And if we slow down just to take observation... It, there's, there's a character piece here, and she's, she's a diligent young woman. Verse 21, And the man, wondering at her, remained silent, so as to know whether the Lord has made his journey prosperous or not. So it was, when the camels had finished drinking, that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold. And said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. This, again, I just, it's fascinating, and it's epic, that God directs the footsteps of the righteous. God directs the footsteps of the righteous. You and I, we are not righteous in and of ourselves. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that what? That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And 
say that to remind every one of us, God is directing our footsteps. He's directing our footsteps. He's not surprised in the arena that you were in yesterday and the people that you came into contact with yesterday, today. And it will be no surprise to him tomorrow. He's sending us out as ambassadors. And he has people that he wants us to come into contact with that we might be that salty salt, that we might be those bright lights and be witnesses to Christ. Let me also just make note of this. The scripture says in verse 27, being on the way, being on the way. Abraham commissioned his servant to go do a task, sent him forth to accomplish a task. Now, he could have just gone to his tent and prayed, oh, God, let this happen. Let this happen. But not got up and go. Well, I'm waiting for the Lord to move. I'm waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord. There's something to be said about faith and action. James tells us, you show me your faith, I'll show you my faith by my action. And there's action. And so he says, being on my way, the Lord led me. Uh, there are a lot of believers today are simply waiting without taking action. I just want to encourage all of us, let's be people of action when God says go. Let's go, right? And he has, he has commissioned us, amen? He has said, go, therefore, into all the world. Make disciples, teaching them everything I have taught you to observe. Teach. Make. Go. Those are, those are directives. And so let's be on our way doing and being about our Father's business, if you will. Okay, so we come to verse 28 in this narrative as we go uh, through this, uh, the historicity of uh, Jacob, or excuse me, uh, Isaac and Rebekah. So the young woman ran to her mother's household. The, uh, so the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah, saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. And the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels, and provided straw and feed for the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand, and said, and he said, speak on. So let me stop here, verse 34, leading into verse 34. So by way of typology, here are the, here are the people in this historical narrative that we have for us in the Word of God. We have Abraham, we have an unnamed servant. We have Isaac, the son. We have Rebekah, a young maiden who is being sought after as a bride for the son, the only son, as God spoke earlier. Take thy son, thy only son, right? the son of promise. Uh, we have Laban. So here's the typology the typology, this is, this is a shadow, this is a picture of a future event. Abraham is a type of the father. Isaac, a type of the son. The unnamed servant, a type of the Holy Spirit. Rebekah, a type of the bride of Christ, the church. And Laban, a type of the world. Now watch. Abraham sends the Spirit out to search for a bride for his son. The Spirit, when he engages with 
the bride, he gives her gifts. When the gifts are in their proper place, the nose ring in the nose, the bracelets on the wrists, Laban, the world, sees the gifts in their proper operation and goes out and invites the spirit into his own house. It really is a picture of the gospel. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. And God has sent his spirit into the world to draw the world to the Son to become the bride of Christ. The beauty is, now that you and I are part of the bride of Christ, we get to participate in cooperation with. Here's the beautiful thing, too, as we as we go a little bit further, and we'll pick up in verse 34 here in just a moment, but as we go a little bit further, we'll discover that the bride has to make a decision. She has to make a decision, and she can only make the decision. Will you go with him? I will go. And every person on the planet makes a decision, either for Jesus or for not Jesus. It's a decision. It's an individual decision. All right, let's pick back up, verse 34. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he became he has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when he was old. And to him he was given all that is his, or all that he had. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way, and you shall take a wife for my son from the family of my father's house. You will be clear of this oath when you arrive among my family, for if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go. Behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, Please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord hath appointed for my master's son. Let me stop here for just a moment. Isn't this epic? God is answering his prayer, and it's everything he has asked. So even his footsteps to arrive at the well in the city of Nahor, Abraham's brother, and to have the first maiden who comes down to draw water, Rebecca. It's, it's absolutely divine. And so he's telling the story, and could you imagine? I mean, Laban, Nahor, these, the, or, or Bethuel, they're listening to the story being told. They must be just thinking, well, we know Abraham is our father's brother. He's family. And we can see the hand of God, nothing less than the hand of God directing footsteps here. I mean, the distance could be as much as 500 miles that he's traveling. Fascinating. I, I mean, I can just, I've listened to people tell their God stories. You've heard people tell their stories and how God intervened and how God and how God and how God and how God. And we look and we just scratch our heads going, wow, God really did that. He's so intimately involved in our lives. And he wants to do amazing things. And he reveals himself in the process. And we just get to fall deeper in love with him. Just think, wow, God, you, you are so good. You are so good. I would that our faith would even be encouraged today. That God wants to work in our lives. 
Oh, that we would just let God have his way. (laughs) Oh, let us learn. Let us learn. Amen. Uh, Verse 45. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. And I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, who met the boar to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and embraced her, saying, Lord. And I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's wife for his son. I love that the unnamed servant here, his response to God's answering and God's leading is worship. It's worship. And he pauses, and it's, it's, no, it's no mystery to anybody who's watching. He worships the Lord. It's public. It's a public declaration. And so uh, I would, for all of us, as we see God moving in our midst, as we see God answering prayers, as we see God touching and loving and working through people, that we also would worship the Lord. And let it be public, giving adoration to the Father. I think it's inspiring when when. when when someone's telling you a story and you say, oh, praise God. You're like, yeah, right? Praise the Lord. Or maybe they're saying praise God and it inspires us and we're like, hey, praise the Lord. We've been in the world long enough that we hear what the world has to say about God. I remember uh, as a football player being in the gym and people were you know, taking the Lord's name in vain. And I purposed at that point in time. Every time I heard someone take the Lord's name in vain, I was just going to, Holler out a, hey, praise God. Hey, what are you doing? Well, if you're going to take his name over here in vain, I'm going to give glory to his name over here a little louder. Right? I mean, so all that to say, we have opportunity, and certainly this servant here takes opportunity. Um, He says, uh, verse 49, Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, And if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either good or bad. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go, and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. They they respond. They see this is nothing less than the hand of the Lord. This is nothing less in the hand of the Lord. We, what can we say? What the, what the Lord has spoken, let it be. And it came to pass, when Abraham's servant heard their words, that he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Now again, this is that display. This is no small thing for a, for a, a, a man in the midst of a family conversation to just stop and get down on his knee and bow his head before the ground and worship the Lord. It's, it's a testimony. It's a testimony. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. Um, let, me, let, me, let me just say this here real quickly, too. Uh, when a person is born again in the typology, she, she receives, if you will, the Spirit of God and receives gifts. There is every single person who's born again, the moment faith is exercised, God the Spirit takes up residence in their life, and the power of God is in their lives. He will continue to fill and refill and empower. And I would encourage every believer to continually seek because there are operations, there are gifts, There are ministries of the Lord and that we would seek those in our lives. In Romans chapter 12, at least seven motivational gifts listed. Ephesians 4, there are five ministries of the Lord 
uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14, at least nine operations of God, perhaps even more we could enumerate, I mean, even to the place of the ministry of helps, just simple helps. What a great ministry. Can I get an amen? Helps. It's marvelous. Okay, so here more is given, if you will. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and said, Send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Well, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. After that she may go. And he said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, Well, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Again, this is that people making a decision. It's a personal decision to be the bride of Christ. Will you go? I will go. It's that confession of faith. It's that confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. When you're talking with one of your five friend focus, when you are encouraging, you know, again, we've said this many, many times, and others have said this, it was St. Francis of Assisi who said, uh, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Uh, Let me remind you that it is necessary to use words, right? It's the confession of our mouth that we are saved. And so, encouraging when you're talking to people and you're sharing your faith and you're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, don't I mean, water the seed that's there. But listen to the Spirit of God. He will prompt you. And he will, know, he will let you know if that seed is ready to germinate. That birth can occur. Bring it to the question. Don't hesitate. Someone shared faith with you. Someone asked you, would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? Let's be the kind of people that ask and bring to the bring to that decision point. Because at that point, they're either A, going to reject or receive. And hopefully by our witness, hopefully by our testimony, hopefully they see the joy of the Lord in you, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Hopefully they see. And so uh, let me encourage you in that way. And so she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his man. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Verse 62. Now Isaac came from the way of uh, Be'er Lahai Roy, uh, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Now, now let me stop here for just a moment, too. Can I suggest to you, uh, the camels are coming. The camels are coming. And what I mean by that is the bridegroom is going to leave the house, and he is going to meet the bride. Camels are coming. That is, he is calling us to come home with him. And that's on the horizon. That is on the horizon. The trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will rise. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And here we find Isaac away from the house. He's come out to meet his bride. And so uh, I think it's also noteworthy on in the narrative on the historical narrative side, uh, Isaac is a man of faith. He's gone out in the evening to the field to meditate. What a good practice to meditate on the things of the Lord, to meditate. Uh, Joshua was encouraged, uh, meditate on the word of God day and night. Do not let it depart from your mouth. To meditate day and night on the Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, 
and lifted his eyes and looked, and the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes. When she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, and she said, you're all right. Hey, guys. Uh, she said uh, to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, it is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things she had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And so we come to the conclusion of chapter 24. Again, chapter 24, a significant chapter in that it is really there's a picture, there's a type, and it reminds us, it's a foreshadowing of really God sending out his servant, sending out his spirit into the world. And here's the beauty. He's sending his spirit out through you and me. We are Christ's ambassadors, and we are seeking a bride for our master. Who, who yet is to receive the Lord? We're reminded in Romans chapter 9 that until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, God's attention will be on the church and not on the nation Israel. God knows when the fullness of the Gentiles will be. Whose salvation is on the other side of our obedience and our willingness to share? Whose salvation is on the other side of our willingness to ask the question? Here's a lofty thought. What if the person that you're going to share your faith with and bring to the point of question is the last of the Gentiles to come in. That's a lofty thought. But immediately they receive the trumpet may sound. Fascinating. We are living in the last days. We are living in the last days. And the trumpet will sound. And the dead in Christ will rise. And so uh, let's be prepared. Okay, well, let's keep going. Uh, Abraham, chapter 25 of Genesis. Abraham again took a wife. Remember, in chapter 23, Sarah has passed away. Uh, Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimram, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Now, uh, these are not sons of promise, uh, as was Isaac. Um, these are not Ishmaelites, if you will. These are not now the working of the flesh. Uh, however, uh, in fact, we would say the majority of these uh, sons that were born to him, um, really only one, possibly two, become anything significant. In fact, probably the only name that is recognizable to us is the name Midian. And we would know about the Midianites when the Midianites come into play in the book of Judges. You recall the story of Gideon. Who was it that came in and was taking all their food such that Gideon would be threshing wheat inside of a vat, right? He's hiding from the Midianites. These are the descendants, if you will, of Keturah and Abraham. Well, verse 3 says this, Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were... Asherim, uh, Letushim, and Leumimim. Leumimim. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, uh, Epher, Hanoch, uh, Abedah, and Eldaah. All these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward, away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. Um, there is traceable history uh, that would give us the ability to ascertain uh, these are uh, potentially with the Ishmaelites. There is some intermarrying, but that these are the Arabic nations of the east. And so... Um, they have been sent away from Isaac. All right, verse 7. It says, This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, 
which is before Mamre in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt at Be'er Lahai Roy. Now, it is least noteworthy. Remember, Ishmael and Isaac were at odds. These are, these are brothers that were in conflict. And they were in conflict for a striving for first position. Firstborn and the rights of the firstborn and the blessing. It wasn't a problem while Ishmael was the only child, but at the age of 13, when his brother, the son of promise, is born of Sarah, all of a sudden, everything that he may have been exposed to is now jeopardized. And so when Isaac is weaned, conflict begins, and they were in conflict. And Abraham was instructed by the Lord to cast out the bondwoman and her son, a thing that was displeasing to him, and yet there's still that animosity and conflict. And we really don't have a whole lot of information about that, but at the end of Abraham's life, we see the two sons working together seemingly reconciling uh, relationship. It is noteworthy that downstream, Isaac, his sons, uh, there's also conflict between his sons, the eldest and the youngest. The younger being the one of birthright, if you will. The older shall serve the younger. And there's conflict. And up to the point where Esau hates his younger brother because of all that has transpired. So we see sort of a history repeat, if you will. Well, let's go on a little bit further here. Verse 12 says, Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. It's interesting to me to note that Ishmael's lineage is now put in to the narrative. It must be, and this is conjecture, but it must be that in their time together at the burying of their father Abraham, that Ishmael is going to give Isaac this detail. Now remember when Abraham interceded for his son Ishmael? He said, oh, that you would bless Ishmael. And God says to Abraham, I've heard your prayer. I've heard your prayer. And I will indeed bless Ishmael because he is your seed. And he will be the father of of 12 princes. Now that was, that's the Father. God the Father giving, or God is giving Abraham the Father a prophetic promise in relationship to his son Ishmael. Here, we see the fulfillment of that prophecy. And it says this. Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah maid servant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names according to their genealogies. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nabajah. Then Keter, uh, Abdiel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadar, Shema, Jetur, Naphish, and uh, Kedmiel, or Kedema, Kedema. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by the towns and their settlements, twelve princes according to their nations. The fulfillment of prophecy. This, again, this is by way of reminder and by way of encouragement and by way of strengthening faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God spoke and said, I will bless him, twelve sons, twelve princes he will have. Here we discover... No surprise, right? God says what he means, and he means what he says. He is not man that he should lie. He is not the son of man that he should repent. When God gives promise, you can bank on it. And Ishmael had 12 sons, and they are princes. Uh, verse 17. These were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt as you go toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. 
Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. I should note, because the book of Genesis is divided really into two divisions, and there are 11 sections in those two divisions. Chapters 1 through 11 would be division 1, which is the history of the nations of the world. Then when we go from chapter 12, really mid-11 all the way through to the end, it is one nation. It's we're, we're coming from one man, and from that one man, the nation of Israel will be birthed, and so that the rest, God's chosen people. And there are 11 divisions, or 11 uh, sections in those two divisions, and these sections are denoted by the phrase, these are the genealogies of. And so we just saw this small segment of the genealogy of Ishmael, and now we're getting the genealogy of Isaac. And we are really moving into, I believe it's section 9, the genealogy of Isaac. And we're going to discover that the principal person that we're going to be looking at is the person of Jacob, uh, the son of promise, which is the younger son, and the older Esau shall serve the younger. Uh, So, uh, verse 24, so when her days were fulfilled to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. They called his name Esau. Uh, thoughts as Esau grew into a man he was wearing the proverbial man sweater <laughs> he was a hairy man uh, afterward his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel so his name was called Jacob Esau was 60 years old uh, when she bore them uh, it should be noted that she was barren for how many years 20 years 20 years Remember, in this culture, to be barren for a woman, a wife, a virgin who gets married to bear no children, it is a reproach. And she feels the pressure of reproach. So it's very likely that prayer has been a frequent. We have the record of that single prayer of Isaac for her, but it's very probable that there were many prayers that went up. And we can see this in in the Jewish family. Certainly when you come to the New Testament, we see it in Zechariah and Elizabeth. In fact, when Elizabeth, after Zechariah gets the promise from Gabriel the angel while he's serving in the temple, he, once he's finished serving, he's he's mute and Elizabeth is pregnant, and ultimately, she says, at the birth of John the Baptist, the Lord has taken away my reproach. It tells us that's the cultural disposition. So it's very likely, 20 years. You know, sometimes when we're asking the Lord for something, do you ever feel impatient? Like, man, God, if you don't move today, I'm just going to pull my hair out. I don't know what's going to happen. I want God to answer. <laughs> Levi, he's like, you must have not gotten the answered prayers, Dave, because you don't have much hair left. <laughs> the idea there is, let's wait on the Lord. Remember, Abraham and Sarah didn't wait on the Lord. Twelve years they waited for the son of promise. They said, we should get our hands in it. Maybe God must need some help. God must need some help. They already received the promise. God's word is God's word. They'd already received the promise. Sometimes we're praying for things that we may not have received the promise on. And we get impatient. I'm sure 
encourage us to wait on the Lord, to wait on the Lord. So it says, uh, verse 27, So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Uh, I think it's the King James that says, a plain man, a plain man. It would be a worthwhile study to just do a quick word search. Uh, I forget what the Hebrew word is here. Um, but the Hebrew word for plain means upright and righteous. He does what's right. He does what's right. Uh, say again. Yes, exactly perfect in his generation. Yes, an upright man. Thank you. And it's uh, Esau is a hunter. Now, this is another worthwhile study. Hunters, more often than not, in Scripture are in the adverse setting or adverse they're spoken of negatively. In fact, the other individual who is known as a hunter is Nimrod in those first 11 chapters, the first world leader. What did he do? He led the people in absolute uh, tyranny against the Lord. And so Esau, you can see later, we'll leak it out now, Esau is a type of really an unbeliever, worldly, and passionate for the things of the world. Jacob, on the other hand, is a plain man. He is upright in his generation. But with Noah, perfect in his generation. Right? So, two different dispositions, two different nations, if you will. goes on to say, the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. And by the way, um, field in Scripture, the type of field in the Scriptures is the world. Uh, a careful look at Matthew chapter 13 would reveal that the field is the world when he's talking parabolically, when he gives those parables of the kingdom. The field is the world. And so Esau, man of the world, if you will, um, and Jacob was a mild man or a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. <laughs> but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, that's interesting, you know, favorites, right? And so I'm sure there could be uh, conversation and uh, sermons about playing favorites, etc. But I think it's noteworthy that Isaac loved Esau. And that's a heart condition. That's a heart condition. Uh, because he gained pleasure by the things of the world, that one could read that. Uh, he, he was satisfied by those things that came out of the world. Uh, I would suggest to you as believers and followers of Christ, we should not find satisfaction in the things of this world and the things that the world can offer. But we should find our satisfaction in the Lord, in the Lord, right? And, and we know, and you know, if your flesh is strong. Um, how would I say this well? This, I mean, this is, we should take spiritual stock of where we are. How am I doing? If I'm finding pleasure in the things of this world, what does is, what is 1 John tell us? Love not the world or the things of this world. If the love of the world is in you, then the love of the Father is not. this world, I mean, a, a life like Esau, full of frustration, full of brokenness, full of heartache. A plain man, it doesn't mean you're not going to have heartache, it doesn't mean you're not going to have sorrow, it doesn't mean you're not going to have all those things, but there's a righteousness. My satisfaction comes from the Lord. Um, I spent a lot of years making a reputation for myself. What a waste of time. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, because I was gaining satisfaction from what other people thought of me. 
reputation. It has nothing to do with character. Character is who God knows we are. The ears for the audience is one. To be well-pleasing to the Lord. You know, when we stand before the throne, he's not going to say, those were good thoughts. Good thoughts. Well thought. Good intentions. What does he say? Well done. Good doing. And so, let's be about the kingdom and not about our kingdom. Because our kingdom, it'll just burn out. So if we're working on reputation, if we're spending a lot of time, but we're finding our satisfaction and our gratification from the things of this world, that stuff's just going to burn. It's just going to burn. It's not worth it. And so we have these two kingdoms. Incidentally, you and I both have two kingdoms working in us. Right? Just like Ishmael and Isaac, two kingdoms. The firstborn wants to be on the throne. Now you have Esau and Jacob, the firstborn, is wanting to be in the birthright seat. Guess what? You were born physically, and if your faith is in Christ, you've been born again, and your firstborn, your flesh, wants to be on the throne and dictate how it's going to be. You see the typology in the picture there? There's two kingdoms. And I would suggest to you the one you feed is the one that will be strong. If you feed the spirit man, from the spirit man, Paul tells the churches of Galatia, from the spirit you will reap life. If you feed the flesh, from the flesh, you will reap destruction. And so, wisdom, in the type even. Verse 29, now Jacob took the stew, and Esau came in from the field and was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And he was the father of the Edomites. And uh, that's a, there's an interesting, uh, as we go a little bit further, uh, Esau will be blessed. He receives a blessing, but really the blessing is not much of a blessing because the blessing had been given to Jacob, as we'll see, and we'll see this uh, next Sunday night, I'm sure. But um, it's interesting because he says, you will serve your brother, your younger brother. But there will be a time where you will be released. And historically, we can see where Edom finds freedom from underneath. David set up garrisons in all the cities of the Edomites. They, they, hey, they were, they were David is a son of Jacob, if you will. And the Edomites are Esau's sons. And garrisons were set up by King David in all of the towns of the Edomites. They were absolutely under. So the older was, in fact, serving the younger, just as the Word of God declares. And then eventually they, uh, there, was a, there was a release from that. But we'll get there uh, next week. So he goes on and he says, hey, feed me some of that stew. Uh, for I'm weary, therefore the name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, <laughs> swear to me. Uh, <laughs> I can't say what I was going to say. Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him. And sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. And he ate, drank, arose, and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. What is Esau saying? What is the birthright? It's promise. It's prophecy. It's future. Esau is saying, I cannot live according to promise. I need food now. Satisfaction now. I tell you, that is the epitome of our flesh. Instant gratification. I cannot live according to the promise. God says, yes, but his is done says, feed me now. 
children of the promises of God. Lean on the Lord. This world, this is not the end in mind. And it may offer immediate sacrifice or immediate satisfaction. But what did Satan say to Jesus in the wilderness? You see all these cities, all these kingdoms? I will give it to you now. If you will bow down. And he doesn't say, if you are the Son of God, in question. The word if there is in the subjunctive, not indicative. It, what it means is, since you're the Son of God, you can have this stuff now. You don't have to go through all this treachery. You don't have to wait. You can have it now. Since you're the Son of God, you do this, I'll give it to you right now. And I will tell you, it's the same tactic that he will use on you and I every single time. Oh, since you're a believer, hey, you don't have to suffer. Look, I'll just give you satisfaction now. What he doesn't remind us, what he doesn't tell us, what he doesn't put before us is the consequence of giving into the flesh and the guilt and the condemnation that he will heap upon us following our giving in to our flesh. He despises those things because he said, I'm not going to live for the promise. That's down the road, man. Feed me now. Feed me now. Dad's going to be kicking for a while. Here's the thing. You're going to hear these words. I just said it not too, not just but a few moments ago. Jesus Christ is coming soon. We're living in the last days. The natural inclination is, well, we've been saying that for 2,000 years. Where is the promise of his coming? We're reminded scoffers will come. Peter tells us scoffers will come in the end days, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Deliberately forgetting all the things that he did in the days of Noah. Up until the ark was closed, people were saying, Whatever, Noah. Sure, water's going to fall from the sky. Right. God sealed the door. Can you imagine from outside the ark? The pounding. Let us in. Let us in. Folks, Jesus is coming. This is not, this is not our... Let's, let's not look for immediate satisfaction. What are we chasing after? Let's chase after the Lord. Right? Let's chase after the Lord. Not that instant gratification thrill. Man, I'm going to tell you something. And how are we doing time? We got about one minute. It's okay. Uh, that's the end. We'll, we'll pick up chapter 26 next week. And we'll actually get caught up with some of mine, I think. <laughs> We're going to try. We're going to try. Let me say this. So, oh, man, this is embarrassing. I, I'm on a diet. And my weigh-in, my, my next weigh-in is tomorrow morning. And I, I'm very close to my goal. Uh, and I may hit it. I, I told Kim earlier, I said, I don't know. <laughs> I felt like, man, I shouldn't have eaten pizza today. <laughs> the condemnation. No, why? Uh, at any rate, at any rate, I had to change what I ate. I pack, I was telling the young, the, the intern, learning from example, there's things you don't want to do the way I do it because I do it. And I, I showed him my Wednesday of last week. And I said, my program even allows for me to input drive time. And I never put any drive time between my meetings. And I'm always just like racing. And honestly, I mean, I get... I get, there's like stress, and so I create anxiety by the way I just schedule my own schedule. I'm thinking, why am I doing this? Why do I still do this? And then I get frustrated at the other drivers. Hopefully it was none of you. But, you know, some guy's driving slow in front of me, and I'm just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> anyway, the point I'm, the, the point I'm, the point I'm making is, with my diet, I'm looking for instant gratification. So because I, my schedule is so tight, I'm like, all right, McDonald's, through the drive through scarfing while I'm driving, drinking, eating French fries, more salt, you know, 
eating this really good, healthy food. No, <laughs> no, but then I'd have to drive cutting salad, and I go, how do I do this? I can't do it while I have my hands. I can drive with my knees. But the point I'm making is I'm, I'm seeking instant gratification. Well, now, <laughs> boy, Susan, that sounded like my wife. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so here's the thing. Since I've been on my diet, I'm eating way better food. And you know what? The weight doesn't come off instantly, but it comes off continually. It comes off continually. It takes a little longer, but it's worth it because I'm a full-out healthy now. And it's good. The moral of that is, let's wait for the Lord. Let's, let's abide in the things of Believe me, you'll discover that there actually is immediate gratification in the Lord also. But the dividend down the road is so great. Great is our reward in heaven. Right? Oh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no it has not entered into the mind of man what God has in store for those who love him. Man. Let's store up treasures there where moth and rust cannot destroy. That's kingdom zeal. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Hallelujah. And all these things will be added unto you, both in this life and in the life to come. God's blessing. What did we read in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 1? His blessings will overtake us if we will simply be diligent to obey. Amen? Amen. Let's end on that. Let's stand tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the examples that we have in the Word of God. Thank you for the example of Abraham, the father of faith. Thank you for Isaac. Lord, thank you for the introduction even to Esau and Jacob, and we see a contrast between two lives, and certainly we'll see in the history of uh, faith that all the way up to including, as Frank reminded me last week, all the way up to and including Jesus standing before Herod. Herod, the last of the Edomites that we have record of. And here is Jesus, the seed of Jacob. Two nations, two kingdoms, kingdom of this world, who is ruled by the prince of the power of the air, and the kingdom of heaven, who is ruled by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Father, let us serve our ourselves fully to the kingdom of God. Lord, we love you, we worship you, and ask your benediction and your blessing as we go from this place. Lord, may uh, our faith be inspired, may we be encouraged, may we be people of the word of God, may we study the scripture, may we read the scripture, may we meditate even as we saw Isaac on meditation. May we meditate on your word day and night, not letting it depart from our mouth. Lord, we love you, we ask your blessing, and God's all in Jesus' name and amen. All God's people said a strong amen. Amen. Go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Amen. If you can help us break chairs down, that would be great.